0: Sci-Fi for Me presents Jason Hunt and Timothy Harvey. This is the H2O Podcast.
1: And here we are once more social distancing because it's what we do. No, actually, uh we're we're here in different places because Tim is working on his Apocalypse Now episode.
0: Yes. The edit the edit on this one is proving to be a bit of a, a rough go. Um just for no, no, nothing wrong with the show itself. Just technical reasons, and so the edit has been giving me grief. <laughs> so. I uh,
1: I had um, uh, a wedding on Saturday that they they hired me to stream it for them mm-hmm. because you know social distancing being what they were, um, and I get there and I've got a I've got a new computer uh, to to do this. We're, we're going to slowly transition over into a new a new tower for some of the stuff that we do here. And I get the new tower out there. And somehow this brand new one day old tower with Windows 10 somehow does not have the software installed to recognize any of the microphone ports. So I took my workhorse the beast here that uh, i use for everything and pulled it out of the configuration here at the studio and took it with me as a backup and you know i had taken taken some stuff and of course every time i do that it has a little bit of a hiccup mentally the the computer has to has to remember exactly how to work with everything. Even though you plug everything back in the exact same way that it was, it's not exactly the same way that it was. I don't know how many times I have gone into OBS, our broadcast software, and I've had to reset the audio configuration every single time I've done anything. So... It's been terribly, terribly frustrating. Uh, I understand that. So, anyway, good evening, everyone, and welcome to this edition of the H2O Podcast. My name is Jason Hunt.
0: And I am Timothy Harvey,
1: And we'll get some formalities out of the way there. Uh, It is Memorial Day weekend, and we are talking about military science fiction and we've done this before i think we did this on the last memorial day episode if i remember right but tonight we're going to do something a little bit different we are going to talk about the military science fiction we're not familiar with the the stuff that we haven't read and the stuff that we haven't watched yet and Maybe it'll give us a little bit of a, of a prompt, you know, add to our list of things what we can sample uh, out there in the wild. So that's what we're going to talk about tonight, in addition to uh, um, talking about our countdown, because we are just one week away from our uh, Indiegogo campaign. Uh, Right now, the pre-launch page is active. Those of you who would like to sign up for email updates, uh, you can go to Indiegogo, find Sci-Fi for Me, and uh, the link is in our show notes, and you can see the latest, and it launches in a week's time. And it's very exciting and terrifying at the same time.
0: That's how these things go.
1: Yeah. So, there we are. Um... First first things first. Just very briefly. Um, I want to call out Comic Book Resources, cbr.com throws this article up today and they've all all they've gotten all sorts of blowback today because of this headline. Steve Rogers wasn't a hero for becoming Captain America, he was selfish. The bulk of the story is basically Steve should have stayed in his place he was a wimp he was a shrimp and he should have just stayed home and done his part instead of being selfish and taking the super soldier serum because he wanted to be on the front lines and you get into the to the back end of the article and it's the the entire thing basically paints steve rogers out to be this self-serving egotist and sometimes it serves him when he's saving other people. But for the most part, he's just this selfish dude who is only looking out for himself. And it's a dumb article and it got posted to Twitter and the Twitter link apparently has been deleted because it's a dumb article and this guy's getting roasted.
0: Well, it's a very Anne Randian take on the concept of the superhero. I haven't read the article. That's just my that's just my gist from what you're saying. Because and just and just the headlines. Because mm-hmm. there's a and and however you feel about you know Rand's philosophy. That's the, the virtue of selfishness is a core part of it, and the self interest and and that sort of thing. And so I mean I, I, it's not a, but there's a reason why we don't have a whole lot of Randian superheroes. That's not the that's not the what makes a superhero. That's not the mindset. So right. without having read the article, that's my initial response is that that that's very much. And, and again, just looking at the headlines, the virtues of selfishness and that sort of thing. Well, that's that's very much that's that's the philosophy there. And for you, whether you, you know, a, a appreciate that philosophy or not, it's not something that you generally find in the concept of the superhero. Right. It can be, you know, there's other places you can put that in in fiction and and have heroic figures, however you feel, again, however you feel about about her writing. Um, But that seems like... um, Well, and especially given the
1: fact that that Steve Rogers, scrawny little skinny Steve Rogers dives onto a grenade.
0: Well, but that also, I think, kind of dovetails into something that I've been seeing a lot on social media over this weekend. And you see it every year um, and there's just a when you look at people who served in times like World War Two of course Captain America World War Two some of these obvious things uh, you, you end up looking at it I mean it was a very very different world yeah and the idea that World War One World War Two uh, Korea Vietnam not so much, uh, but certainly the, certainly the first half of the 20th century. The, the idea of what the kind of patriotism that led you to volunteer to be a soldier in these conflicts is not something that um, is as common now, and that's not to diminish anyone's patriotism who, who enlists or, or serves, it, it's, it, um, that's not what I'm saying, um, it's a different world. And we are not war is fought differently, oh. and the things the, the things are different, so I mean that's that's again, haven't read the article. I'm making a sweeping judgment call on something I have not read, which is always a bad idea
1: yeah and and yeah you know, i I saw that earlier today, and i hadn't I hadn't really had a much chance to digest it in my head, but that's just. And off the cuff reactions as we're getting into Memorial Day and, and our discussion here. And I don't know that you would consider Captain America military science fiction so much in the traditional sense, but you know, with him certainly serving in the military there's that there's that connection. There's, so I thought I'd just kinda
0: throw that out there and There's been stints in the comics where they've taken back to the war times for, for... Steve Rogers' experience in the war is Captain America and it's certainly of course in the in the first Captain America film it was rooted in World War II. Right. So I mean it's it's a kind of military fantasy. I wouldn't say it'd would be military science fiction cuz superheroes the I I think you can make a pretty good argument that superheroes are fantasy not science fiction as much.
1: Well, Superman is an alien.
0: Right. So, you know, but I, Wonder, Wonder Woman is, you know, formed by the by the gods themselves. So right. I mean, that's fantasy. So. That's fantasy.
1: I guess uh, ma- mainly I'm I'm looking for the opportunity to throw some shade at CBR because it's it's a it's a dumb hot take.
0: I, I, yeah, just again, I, I haven't read it. I'm I maybe maybe if I'll read it, I'll find a gem of something that I can I can <laughs> process and, and agree with. But just on the basis of that, I'm gonna no. I'm gonna say. That's an interesting opinion. I fail to <laughs> see how you arrived at this point, no. but you do you, I, I guess.
1: I have to, uh, speaking of technology giving me glitches, I have to complain about my cell phone because since, when did, when did we get that email about uh, Sprint and T-Mobile, I got that thing, what was it, last week? I have had a really tough time keeping a signal in the office Hmm. and it's just a recent development right now i have absolutely no bars i got the little x instead of the bars on my mobile device and of course this is what i use to monitor the chat for the youtube channel while i've got the chat for the twitch up here on this i've got all these different monitors in front of me and uh i've got i've got no signal i'm like this See, didn't used to be a problem. I don't know what I've had is.
0: T-Mobile for years, and, and while I have not, the new apartment, the signal is different. Um, some of the some of the problems I had with my T-Mobile signal over where I used to live, I don't have now, which is nice. On the other hand, I just had an update. Uh, you know, I got a little pop-up going, your update is two days past due. I'm like, mm. where was the update when it told me I was supposed to have it? Yeah. I'm sure I just missed it. No. Uh, and now I've updated my phone. I have hit the button, and it did all the things. And they've changed the color scheme of everything. And it's got that... Uh, for some reason, the graphic design choice now is to everything to have rounded corners. Oh, I know. <clears throat> and I, I don't have an issue with rounded corners. I've got a graphic design degree. There's times that rounded corners are absolutely awesome i'm a big fan of whatever works best for whatever project you're working on right so however um i'm also i don't know if it's an age thing or a, just a taste thing mm. but for my phone i have always liked the hard corners and and straight at, straight lines and things like that so yeah it's it's it you know i'm looking at it going oh, okay whatever but it's like, uh, did you, is, is there an option I can change this? Is there, is there a personalization tab? There are, there are
1: <laughs> times I I've, I've gone into to updates. There was, there was one particular update that I got on my device that eliminated the personalized tones for everybody's, Oh yeah, uh, uh-huh. for all of the right. different accounts, you know, the, the different contacts. And I kept bugging them. I'm like, I need this. To manage my contacts for the various different businesses that are running all these different things, so I can, you know, I know this one's a client, this one's a this one's a collaborator, this one's staff, you know that, right, sure. And I think probably it took six or seven updates before that came back. I don't know, but I just kept I just kept writing. I was just, yeah, I need this back. I need this back. I need this back. I don't care whatever you do, else just I need this so.
0: Well, I haven't been bothered enough to actually dig into the phone to see if I can find a personalization button. So, well, it's not like I'm you not have
1: any notifications that. on anyway that you pay attention to. So. Well, <laughs> I'm
0: personally, uh, you know, the, considering I did this, uh, he's referring to a text that he sent that I did not respond to for a day. Uh, a yes. text. A text. A text. A text. Singular. One. Just the one. Uh, I'm not. I. I, I <coughs> I am quite content to not respond to the <laughs> phone things uh but there's interestingly enough because i didn't even see this text at all and it was it was actually the same i guess you sent it on the same day i did the update, or, or i did the update the day before um and then i got a notification through slack which i almost never get notifications through slack yeah, no matter that what was- we, Really, twitchy, no matter what we've know. tried to do, yeah. I just for Slack and my phone just do not like each other. And yet, I got this notification from Slack and this text notification, just I didn't even see it. So, um, whatever they did with the update, yay uh, for Slack stuff. <laughs> and I haven't had any text issues uh, uh, today. No, uh, and you and I have texted a little bit today, but yeah, it's just it's it's all kinds of fun. I mean, you know, on, on the other hand, just uh you know these are little computers we're carrying around in our pockets that's still kind of cool i suppose i am not going <laughs> to complain about carrying a little computer around in my pocket because sometimes i can even make phone calls with it <laughs> that's All just right. crazy so let us get into our
1: topic for the evening because yes. some people have probably uh, uh already bailed because we're 15 minutes in and we haven't gotten to our topic yet darn it all uh right, they so,
0: uh, if they've they've met us before jason this is not I, a huge surprise well, yes
1: all right so i have pulled up uh three different lists that are available on the internet one i is have four 23 <laughs> best military science fiction books
0: i have uh, one is that the one... one from best fi uh yes yes i also Do you have, have one... uh tor forge blog I do not have the Tor Forge. The block. eight
1: military sci-fi must-reads, shorter list. I've got you be Forty-eight of the best military science fiction books. Ever. Uh,
0: that's from CaseyCollette.com. Casey and um, then, do you have the uh, Havoc Journal?
1: I do not have Havoc Journal. Do you Havoc have Havoc Journal? Reads? Has
0: got. Uh, uh, I don't think they actually put a number on here, and they, it's a it's a relatively short list, and and there's a few here that. Um, there's one on here I would not think of necessarily as being military science fiction and yet it is so no. uh,
1: I have a goodreads list here that's 100 titles long
0: see I love Goodreads but they often will have lists that are they're more catch-all than specific so I don't I, I can't speak to that list particular list but I've had I've had some really good great lists I found on Goodreads and some it's like okay, this list is too long, and it's <laughs> too vague, and 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 that's fine. I mean, but but still, uh, you'll have to you'll have to let me know if that's a good list or not.
1: All right, so where shall we begin? Do you want to start? Well, I think
0: one thing we want to point out here is that we're going to run into things where I, I imagine that you've read something and I I haven't read something and mm-hmm. vice versa. And one of the ones that actually popped up on one of these lists, I think I, I think on at least one of these lists, is yeah. one that I have read. And I'm almost dead certain you haven't. And I do want to pitch this one uh, because it is a, I believe these are self-published or go through a smaller press. Um, And I'm actually a really big fan of this writer. uh, Got into his stuff from a different angle. Um, Be aware that his fantasy series, he has two other series, one of which is not for children. It is... Adult rated, and mm-hmm. that you need to be aware of that if you're if you're going to come into this guy's work. But his military series, his Poor Man's War series, Elliot K is the author, um, and it is definitely a classic space opera. Uh, young man in the wrong place at the right time uh, finds his life changed, you know, and becomes the the, the pivotal character in a in a galactic conflict. Um, this is an excellent military science fiction series yeah. and it's an interesting, fascinating concept because the whole reason for it, the whole reason for this war is the higher education in this grouping of worlds is all the kind of thing where you've got student debt and you work it off the rest of your life and then your descendants probably work off your student debt too.
1: You know, I think I remember you saying something about this at one point. Right.
0: It's a it's a it's a really interesting series, and it's ongoing. Um, it it it's can it the first few books deal with the war itself, but then it also starts dealing with the aftermath of the war. So it doesn't just stop mm-hmm. with dealing with the conflict itself. It deals with the fact of how this culture changes after the conflict, and what it means to be a veteran. Um, in And not necessarily a beloved veteran, depending on where you are in this culture. Yeah. So it's a really interesting series. He has some military experience. Elliot Kay, uh has served, I believe he served in the Coast Guard. So he gets the, a lot of the terminology right. He gets a lot of the, uh, uh, the structure, uh, military structure right, which is something that some things don't often do. Um, but it's also a really well-crafted series with really interesting characters. Um, I would say it in, it's probably in the upper half of some of the, the military science fiction I've enjoyed. Mm-hmm. Um, and like I said, I came in, I came into his stuff at a different angle, uh, through one of his fantasy series, but I really have enjoyed this. And the audiobooks if you happen to be interested those are generally, um, uh, the lady who records them has got a fantastic voice. She's a great narrator. Um, so it's definitely worth checking out. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I think there's four or five, four books in the series, I think, and there's a fifth book on the way. Um, I think it's going to come out, I think, either later this year or the first part of next year.
1: Okay. Well, and that kind of dovetails into this one. I still have not read The Forever War from Joel, Joel Haldeman, you, have you read? You've read this. You? I've
0: read this, but I was look, going through this list, and I was thinking about how long ago I read some of these, and that's—I mean, some of these. It's if I—it's like I'm going to be almost like coming in fresh, because you know, some of these I have not read in a couple decades. No. Armor by John Stakely. I haven't read that in probably twenty years. Yeah. Now, see that one. I—I I don't know. I
1: don't know that one at all. I have um, you know, I, I, I and I recall
0: enjoying it. it, but I, I, I honestly, it's been so long. Um, you know, there's just, uh, but yeah, um, honestly, uh, Forever War, my memory, you know, it, it makes it makes a ton of people's best of lists, and I remember really, really, enjoy, really enjoying it. But I don't own a copy. I was looking for uh, earlier today when I was taking a break from this edit. I was looking at my bookshelves, and I was thinking, don't I own a copy of The Forever War? Don't I own a copy of uh, A Hymn Before Battle? Mm. And I cannot find, I, I'm pretty sure I have uh, my Hymn Before Battle just in one of my piles of books, uh, but I, I am almost dead certain I don't currently own a copy of The Forever War. So it's all, I mean, I, I'm going to have to get a hand on it and read it again because it's no. probably been 15, 20, 25 years since I read it last
1: now we've seen the movie um, with Tom Cruise and Emily Blunt. Right. Uh, what what was it called? Because it was originally originally it had the same title as the book it's based on. Um, so the Edge of Tomorrow. Edge of Tomorrow. Yeah. Okay. It's based on a book called All You Need Is Kill, mm-hmm. and that's here. It's a it's a manga graphic novel.
0: And uh, I have not read this. Um, I haven't read the original source either. Um, and that's a shame because it's actually one of the films that I I have mixed feelings about Tom Cruise as an actor because a lot of times Tom Cruise plays Tom Cruise right yeah um, but it actually works for him really really well in this movie. And so that's the kind of thing where I just would like to go back and and read the source material. And that's you know that, that's always a risk for folks when they really really love a film. Is they go back and read the book or the graphic novel series and discover that it's not at all what the film is, <laughs> um, and that's just you know a lot. Sometimes that's translation in terms of one moving from one medium to another. Sometimes it's a what a great title. <laughs> <laughs> Let's take the title. Yeah. Um, you know, and and that's that's not great, but it happens. Um, and, and it's funny that you see
1: all of these because you know here it is on on this other list as well you see a lot of these titles show up on various different oh yeah uh, collections and 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 lists of recommendations and and whatnot
0: well I think there, there's one of the nice things about good military science fiction let alone you know good science fiction in general but good military science fiction good fantasy fiction uh, whatever the subset of the genre you're looking for is that there are some titles that literally are, and I use the word literally here the correct way, um, classics of the genre for very, very good reasons. They, they They bring a lot of things to the audience that it's almost impossible for a reader, whatever that reader's experience, whatever that reader's belief system or politics or anything like that, they can appreciate this book for the quality of the work. Mm-hmm. And and the and the and the engagement of the story, and not you know not every book is like that. And but when you find those that just reach across you know the the breadth of the science fiction fantasy fandom, um, you, those are the ones you definitely want to get your hands on because if so many people can agree that it's a great book, it, there's pro, there's a good chance. No guarantees, of course. There's a good chance there's something in there for you.
1: I got uh, we d- I did an unboxing earlier today. Uh, I got three books from Bayon. Mm-hmm. One of them I'm not sure it counts really as military science fiction. It features uh, Benjamin Franklin fighting magic. It's called Color of Lightning, and he's. I'm gonna
0: go with. I'm gonna go with historical fantasy, but yeah,
1: probably something like that. I mean, you have you have shiny Liberty Bell, spitting out lightning there, so you know. Um, But the other two, like it does. Everybody knows it does that. They just don't. They just you know they don't. Not allowed to film it. That's that's why there's a crack in there because you know the energy surge just. Mm -hmm. All right, but this other one, give me Liberty Con... Uh, which is edited by Christopher Woods and, and Tony Weisskopf. This looks like it's it's a collection of short stories And it is um, an interesting concept Because Liberty Con is a convention It's a comic con that's in, I believe, Kentucky or Tennessee Somewhere in there Tennessee, Tennessee. That's right, yes, we did talk about going there and this is just a collection of, of short stories, and I don't know what the what the theme thread is through it, except mm-hmm. here – maybe these are the stories that we were going to read at Liberty Con, and now they're collected in an edition. I don't know. It's a very interesting concept. I've never seen anything like this before, uh, and I'm not sure how much of this would be considered – military science fiction but you've got david weber david drake larry korea um who else bill Fawcett, um timothy zahn christopher smith so you've got some military science fiction authors in this collection so i would assume and just by looking just just glancing through it uh it does look like there might be some uh, some of that in there. So that uh, that's going to be an interesting read. And then I got this uh, Jerry Pornell's last book. It's called Mamelukes. I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right or not. I love that one. It is a Janissaries novel. Mm-hmm. And uh, it has contributions by David Weber and Philip Pornell. And this is basically. Uh, the very last thing that Jerry Parnell wrote before he died, and I guess Weber and his son Philip finished it. I would I would assume, uh, but it's a really big book. It's a thick book, um, and it's you know it's 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 military in a, in a way. Uh, you've got a guy who's fighting wars and civil wars and he's on a new planet and he's fighting a war on a planet and
0: the janissary series are definitely military science fiction Mm -hmm. i I don't think that there's um uh much gray area there robert point up in the in the chat hello robert hello robert um uh, robert heinzen uh, surprised that the Ghost Fleet is not on these lists. Perhaps it's considered more techno thriller, like Tom Clancy, and not sci-fi. And where do you differentiate between the genres? And I would say, in that particular case, the Death, uh, the Ghost Fleet is very much considered more of a techno thriller. And I think that for a lot of military science fiction. Um, or at least the broad strokes, because there's, gonna, uh, there's you know, there's no hard and fast rules here. There really aren't. Mm-hmm. Um, is that it has, to, most of the stuff we consider military science fiction usually uh, involves a lot more of the, the science fiction tropes. Far future, alien invasion. Right. You know, it's got these, uh, or or it's taking place on a different planet. I mean, it it might be it might be almost a standard military novel, um, but it's also set on a different planet. Uh, Some of the near future things, like uh, I mean, there you could argue that Hunt for Red October is almost a science fiction novel because the technology didn't actually exist uh, the way that it's described, and you know, it doesn't have to. I mean, it's a it's a techno thriller novel, but it but the there's certain kind of things like that. I think that in the broad umbrella, that sort of stuff tends to fall under uh, the, the techno thriller umbrella. Right. Now, if it was 200 years from now, you know, it would probably fall into science fiction. That said, um, there are some of these that there's titles that show up on a couple of these lists. Uh, I think the Forge of God is on here. Um, I think on a couple of different lists, I think and that's Greg that. Bear's novel. And there's a military aspect to it, and it takes place more or less in the in the now. Um, but I would not necessarily think of the Forge of God as being a specifically military novel. And that's an interesting question because where does where how do you define the military novel? And mm. um, I mean, there's a, there is a military aspect to Forge of God, and I think it's a very well written military aspect. But I, I honestly don't think of that book as a military science fiction novel. Um, that doesn't mean that other people obviously it's on a couple of different lists here, so other people do. I'm really but.
1: surprised that Heir to the Empire is on this is on this particular list. I'm like, that's a Star Wars book. That's to me, I don't see that as military science fiction it's i mean it's grand Edinburgh throw their strategies their space combat there there is there is a military aspect to it but it's star wars you don't think of star wars as military science fiction it's space fantasy
0: well and i think that that's you get into some of this stuff of how you how you define series um stories mm-hmm. that follow them i mean uh i i uh, i showed it to you uh i think a, a week or so ago i got the the second of the um, I Who Doctor Who uh, books that review the audiobooks and novel range, oh, right, right, uh, starting with the Virgin line when when Doctor Who was off the air, and then coming up into present day. And they were discussing a couple of the the novels that were really the distinction that that they really found interesting was that these work as extremely good science fiction novels outside of being good doctor who novels Mm -hmm. and so there were a couple of there's a couple of them in in a couple of different aspects of the series little subparts where they're like this is not just a really amazing doctor who novel this is an amazing science fiction novel the doctor who elements are in the minority here and the fact that it's this amazing it's this amazing science fiction novel that has the doctor in it sure um, and so you end up with these sort of these sort of gray areas of what is you know is this a Doctor Who novel? Is this a science fiction novel? Is this a Star Trek novel? It's this I mean we we make these buckets that we put these things in. I think and, to
1: me, military science fiction. If you look at things like the Honor Harrington series, where your main characters are in some sort of a military that is generally in space um or if you're in a futuristic setting uh if if you're in some sort of an environment where it's clearly speculative fiction but it's very heavily military and the characters that the story follows i think that to me, probably defines it more than anything else. See, to me, Star Trek doesn't even really feel very much like military science fiction unless it's Nicholas uh, uh, Meyer doing it.
0: Yeah, I was going to say, but then you're looking at Star Trek Two or or the Undiscovered Country that has a very much a military warfare, uh, submarine warfare, yeah. specifically uh, feel to it. Um, and so, yeah, but I I I, I agree with that. I, <clears throat> one of the fun things about this list is looking at this and realizing that. There are authors that people have on here. I've read some of their other work. Uh, Tanya Huff, uh, Valor's Choice, is on the, the 23 best science military science fiction list. And I've read her vampire novels, and I really enjoyed them. Yeah. Uh, I thought they were very clever. I thought they were a nice twist on the standard vampire fiction. Um, and I was actually quite a bit of fan of, of her stuff back in the... Oh, I'd say middle to late '90s is when I read read most of her vampire fiction, and she ended that series, um, and it went out on a, on a, in a in a good way, and I really quite enjoyed it. But I hadn't read her military any of her military science fiction, and um, reading this the uh, the description of this one, I'm like, mm, I need to pick this up uh, because if it's as good as her vampire books, mm-hmm. uh, then it's probably a really really interesting read. So that's. I love these kind of lists where I sit there and go, "Ooh, wait, what is this?" <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, and and there's there's quite a few of these that I've heard of, mm-hmm. but I haven't read. And yeah. and you know, you mentioned Greg Bear. You mentioned you know the Forge of God. Greg Bear has written some Star Trek novels, mm. and I've read I've read his Star Trek books, but I haven't read anything else from him. So yeah. you know, maybe this is something where. You know, we go through and and I make a list of of things to read when I'm not busy.
0: <clears throat> yeah, and that's yeah. you know the my the era that I worked for bookstores. It was always easier to find time to read than it is now. Sure, because that's work. It's research. Exactly. It's- I am I am I am filling my head so that the next customer asks me a book to recommend, I can give them an answer. That's right. You know? Um, but yeah, I mean, there's there's stuff on here that uh, a talent for war, Jack McDevitt. <clears throat> I've read a lot of Jack McDevitt books. I haven't read this one. Now, this particular one, it's described as being more of a science fiction mystery, but it's about uh, a military, uh, a mystery involving the military.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Now, I really enjoy Jack McDevitt's books, uh, and I would definitely encourage uh, if you ever get a chance, just pick up any of them he's a fantastic writer but I have not read this
1: one well and I do believe uh, I I gotta go back and look through my my archives here we interviewed Jack McDevitt at OzFest one year Um, let me let me see when that was because uh, i want to say it was 2013 2014 somewhere in there uh but yeah we got a chance to talk to him at uh at ozfest in omaha
0: now i would say his stuff is generally more space opera um big 2012 oh wow uh, big uh, uh his stuff has a lot of a mystery element but it's always there's a lot of of galactic mystery, a mystery on a galactic scale, mm-hmm. the kind of thing where you know you discover an alien civil the ruins of an alien civilization and discover the thing that the thing what killed him is still looking about. so <laughs> uh, but it, it really well crafted characters. I think one of the strengths of, of an author like McDevitt is that they that the science fiction trappings are all there uh, and the things you want from a good science fiction novel but he really writes compelling characters and that's yeah. really important. Um, I think that a great setting, a great concept, but if you just don't care about the characters, it's just not going to work. No.
1: Now here's one I have not heard of. Uh, and, and looking through all of these lists, there are not too many, uh, female authors, uh, in, in the military science fiction space. Uh, this is one fortune's pawn by Rachel Bach. I have not heard of either. I have not heard of the title. I have not heard of the author. So this is a, this is a different one here. Mm-hmm. Um, but it looks like, um, from the description here, Rachel Bach cut her teeth writing, The Legend of Eli Monpress. That sounds like fantasy. hmm And I'm wondering how many not just not just women writers but just writers in general how many of them start in fantasy where it's easier to create things that don't necessarily have to hold up to logic and and physics and make the jump from fantasy to science fiction because there's one that we i just did a review on called eve uh, echoes of war by cheryl campbell and it is her first science fiction book after being in the fantasy space for for a number of titles, so it almost feels like, and and I don't want to seem like I'm diminishing fantasy, but it almost feels like some writers cut their teeth in fantasy and get used to the to the idea of story and structure and concept and characters and blah. But blah, blah. I now jump to science fiction.
0: I think that you might actually be seeing some of the uh when you when you're built a lot of times with building a really good fantasy series you end up with big battle scenes or fight scenes or things mm. like that and if you find that if you're a author that you find that you really like that stuff if you really enjoyed writing it let alone you know maybe maybe you had to do a giant battle scene and you had to figure out how it was going to work logistically so you had you you based it on a military conflict or you had to figure out how the military conflict was going to play out and you really enjoyed it uh, With 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 not diminishing um, fantasy in any way, shape, or form. I love a lot of fantasy novels, and I'm a huge fan of of that genre. But that said, there's a certain formula for fantasy warfare, Mm -hmm. and I think and there's formulas for science fiction warfare too. But I think that we may be seeing some writers who find that they're after playing in that fantasy box for a while they're feeling they want to do something a little bit different and they can't there's only there's only so many ways you can stage a dragon battle there's only so many ways you can stage a war between elves and orcs um and there's just you know the i'm not i'm not saying that you can't get amazing really incredible battle scenes that way because you can and there's a wonderful you know you can pick half a dozen uh, probably at the top of our head of great fantasy novels with incredible battle scenes. Yeah. Uh, Lord of the Rings aside, I mean, you can. There's all sorts of stuff. Um, there's. I, I think that you probably have more opportunities to tell different kinds of battles in science fiction.
1: I think, for me, reading whenever I'm reading any kind of combat, uh, the ones that I find most effective. Are the ones that get more confined and personal, mm. whereas you know if you do this grand sweeping, here's all of this stuff that's going on in this you know, let's let's look over the entire landscape of the battle, where you start to lose, you you get lost in the weeds with all of the different things that's happening. It's so overwhelming, whereas if you have a a single perspective character or just one or two. Mm-hmm. then that becomes your your anchor point where you can also focus on various aspects of the story of the of the battle from their perspective and that way you're getting a little bit of a limitation, a little bit of a box, but you're also getting to see these things in the pieces mm-hmm. rather than this broad sweeping scope that maybe uh, maybe is a little bit overwhelming.
0: The broad um, sweeping scope stuff work can work really really well as a visual element in a film mm-hmm. where you can get it that gives it's giving you a sense of scale of the conflict. right. But in terms of reading a novel, um, you might have you, you can it's a good idea to establish that to give you a sense of what that scale is. But I think it's much more effective, yeah, to just stick with an individual or, or a handful of people as they move through the space of that battle because hopefully you've established with these characters a reason for you to care whether or not they live or die in the course of this battle or if they're injured in the course of the battle because yeah. hopefully you know hopefully your main character makes it through or or dies in a good way anyway. Um, now I did see interestingly off on, on a couple of these lists that I'm looking at um, the Hyperion Kantos, the the four books of the Hyperion series by Dan Simmons and there are elements of military science fiction in this series. There are sec- there are sections of the book that are military science fiction. Yeah. but Or the four books. But in a large part, they are probably, I'd say, maybe 20% of the books. The rest is... I mean, it's, it's a retelling of the Canterbury Tales through science fiction. It's a very different kind of... Uh, uh, series and I, I highly recommend it I think it's an excellent series I think it's extremely well crafted with some great ideas bit a lot of big ideas in this book yeah. these book series but in terms of it being military science fiction one of the major characters is a soldier and we get a lot we get his story told and there's some great military science fiction in his story and there's some there's moments when this war that the series is revolving around Uh, does break out so you have sequences but that's not the focus of the series yeah and i think that there's one of the distinctions you know where do you differentiate like like rob asked is you know a book like that i would not necessarily put on a military science fiction list because that's not the dominant story they're telling
1: yeah i think for for anything to fit military science fiction the military has to be a prominent element in the story i mean it's just the not not just your main character is in the military but the military has to be a bulk of the environment in mm-hmm. in a way um or, or an in, and i think in
0: a way is a good example there because the the expanse books have showed up on some of these lists yeah. and the expanse books um are the main characters in the expanse series are not in the military. Some of them have served, some of them haven't. Uh, but the mili- there's a lot of military strategy. Uh, there's a lot of char- there's a huge number of characters in the expanse series, So a lot of point of view characters to follow. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's the core group, but there's a lot of, of ancillary characters who are richly developed who you become fans of. And some of them are dealing things from a military standpoint. So I think that works, but that's also one of those series that it's. It, 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 if you look at the series as a whole, if you look at all the books in the series, you would say, "Well, this one's more military science fiction than this one," mm-hmm. and so you'd, you'd you'd make that you'd make that call book by book, <laughs> because some of them I wouldn't say they really are military science fiction, but some of them very much, you know a significant chunk of the story is about you know this war that is happening and this battle and 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 where these people fall in who don't necessarily want to be on a side
1: yeah i so. would think that you'd have to have um, tactics combat whether it's you know marines in exosuits like you know like you get with starship troopers or you get uh, a lot of uh, space navy combat, like you do in Honor Harrington. There's got to be that piece of it because if if you're doing, a, say, a military intelligence type of story, mm-hmm. that's a spy thriller more than more than it is military
0: SF for me. Because well, but you don't see a lot of spy thriller science fiction novels.
1: You don't you don't maybe maybe there's a maybe there's a need for that you know maybe there's a gap there that needs to be i think i think i have
0: a theory as to why Mm no well because it's very easy for us to understand this we understand our social political structure even you know historically and even looking at the present day you know if you're doing a spy run against the Chinese or the North Koreans mm-hmm. or the Russians, you know, that's, that's, that's a thing we can understand very, very easily. We don't have to paint, you don't have to paint, spend a whole lot of time building your world right. to tell those kind of stories, or have you said it in the past, you know, you said it in the cold war or whatever it is. Um, and I think that you have to do enough to really do good science fiction and good fantasy. You have to do really good world building. And I'm not saying you couldn't do a really fantastic spy thriller set in a science fiction or fantasy setting. In fact, I can think of I can think of at least one fantasy novel where one of the characters is in fact a spy, um, but that's not the focus of it. Um, so I think that I think that maybe maybe because we're it's a lot easier for an author to sit there and say, "Okay, we're spying on the Russians. You know who they are. I don't have to tell you. Here we go." Yeah. Right.
1: Well, I think though if if you if you set it up properly, if you do a, 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 a and this goes into that whole show don't tell type mm. of thing where you know i i I think that david weber is is one of those types who could probably do some kind of an espionage story set within the Honor Harrington universe. Um, Eric Flint could probably do something like that.
0: Uh, John, uh, John Ringo's him before battle series. I don't, uh, it's the posley War. Um, I think one of the books is, I think got sort of a spy thriller bent. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think I've read it. If I'm trying, I don't think I, I, I don't, I'm not sure that series has actually ever had an ending. Um, uh, but I can definitely recommend the first probably three or four books in the series. Um, I found it's an alien invasion thing, and it's mankind fighting back. Now, if you are not a fan of politics in your fiction, beware. There's a lot of it in there. Um, it's very much a libertarian bent. If you're fine with that, there you go. I personally found it to be extremely well-crafted, mankind-fights-back fiction. Right. And um, there's some very moments of just high comedy, there's moments of just utter tragedy, and there's a, it's a very human story. Um, and if you're a fan of the, of the online comic strip, Sluggy Freelance, uh, which is a humorous science fiction slash fantasy webcomic, um, well, so is John Ringo. And there is a, there's a, a particular battle vehicle that gets named after one of the characters, for very good reason of the sluggy freelance comic strip. And if you're a fan, it's, it's a laugh out loud, funny moment. Um, But yeah, I I highly recommend that series.
1: Um, Here's another one on this list, live free or die by Ringo.
0: Generally speaking, I have not read that one. I haven't either. I Um, have,
1: I I, I need to think,
0: I don't know that I've read.
1: (sighs) I don't think that I've read anything by John Ringo by himself. And I want to say that he has contributed to the honor verse. He
0: written collaborates a with a lot of writers. And I think that one of the things that I found with the books that he's been a collaborator on or co-author with is that there's generally it's, – it's pretty seamless. Mm-hmm. You don't feel like you're uh, dealing with – and this guy wrote this chapter – you know, you don't have that that feeling. Right. Um, there's a his uh, uh, the one that he wrote with David Weber, the Empire of Man books. Um, another ones, those are ones that I definitely recommend as well. And and you would not be able to sit there and say this is the David Weber part, and this is the Jung Ringo part. And I mm-hmm. feel that when you read their books separately, you can definitely feel their different voices. But here they meld very well. It's a it's a good connection. Uh, well, and, and it's I a think, great military science fiction series.
1: I think the other thing too that you see with uh, the the Bayon books is there seems to be within that publishing house much more of an openness to collaborate and and write stuff together. Mm-hmm. Then mm-hmm. you see other places. You don't see John Scalzi teaming up with N.K. Jensen, for example, or, or anything like that. You have... You now know, I want to see
0: that, though. <laughs> I mean, Dustin's a huge huge uh, N.K. Jensen fan. I think that would be... Uh, Dustin, for those who don't know, my, my co-host on Zompocalypse now. Um, huge, huge fan. And, and so uh, that would be a really interesting thing to see. And I think that, you know, I, I imagine... I imagine there's a whole lot of authors out there who would love to collaborate with with other authors. That's a scheduling and time issue. That yeah. we know how hard it is just to schedule you know shows on a regular basis.
1: Well, and it's also one of those things where you've got to have the right idea.
0: Oh because, yeah, no kidding. You
1: know, if, if, if you're if you've got two very distinct voices in your authors uh finding finding the project that blends those together as well as you need them to
0: uh, oh can yeah I mean be
1: a challenge but
0: I mean you look at some of these very successful collaborations like uh, pornell and Niven um they wrote lots of books together nope. over a wide range of subjects uh, i
1: I have not read I don't think I've ever read anything by Jerry pornell now that I've thought, I've thought about it um, See, I've I have a I, couple I, of Niven books, but uh, uh,
0: not, this not this series, that. the the Modi series, the Modern Gods Eye. There's two books in the series, uh, is great military science fiction. Um, think uh, big, sweeping operatic space battles. But there's also it's also a political thriller and a biological thriller yeah. in there as well. Uh, but they're um, oh, for heaven's sakes. The game series that they did, the one set in the, this, and this would be uh, an amazing, now that we've got things like Westworld on TV, I'd love to see someone adapt their uh, game series, the one basically where it's uh, set in a giant theme park, uh, and it's genre-based theme park. So you have, uh, uh, it's a, you go in and these teams compete and it's all broadcast and it's live role-playing. Right. And uh, and then the behind the scenes of what goes on in the park, uh, Dream Park, the Dream Park series. There we go. Dream Park. Um, And they are they're not remotely military science fiction, but there's industrial espionage. We get into spying and science fiction. There's a place it plays in, but it's set in the in in the near future. I've got
1: I've got a book. um, And I couldn't tell you right now who wrote it. It was. Um, I don't even know where the book is, but it's set in that kind of a an, of an, an environment, an amusement park type of thing, and now I'm going to have to dig it up because that's going to bug me about it. Because uh 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 Frederick Pohl, mm. it was a Frederick Pohl book, and it that. That kind of sounds a little bit like what this one was um, it not a not a not a military science fiction or anything by any stretch no, but no. um it was a uh, it, it was not it was not bad not a bad book I, mm, um, I say it was Frederick Pohl.
0: Now, I did see one on here that uh, uh, I've read several of the other author's other books in this series and I don't believe I've read this one. Ian Banks, I've read quite a few of the culture books, but I don't think I've read Use of Weapons. I do not recall this one at all, so I'm going to guess I haven't read it. Now, the culture series is big idea science fiction and Ian Banks has got uh, a lot going on in these books. Uh, and I cannot for the life of me think r- think of why I would not have read this book. It's Apparently it's the third book in the series, but I'm almost certain I haven't read it. Yeah. And now I'm going to have to figure out why. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I, Ian Banks is a really fantastic writer. I mean, it's hard science fiction. This is, uh, this is big ideas written extremely well, but you are required to think, which is always great. I mean, that's one of the best things about really good science fiction is that it makes you think. Um, But Ian Banks, he will challenge you as uh, an author. And I think that's always kind of fun to have those authors who will sit there and go, no, no, really keep up. (laughs) Uh, And uh, and then and then you're rewarded for having that kind of, you know, he's demanding something of you as a reader, which I think is always kind of fun.
1: Right. Um, Um, I'm looking here because it is it is bugging me the title of that book. Um, <laughs> and I'm, and I'm not finding it, which now makes me wonder if it was Frederick Pohl or if it was, uh, uh, Larry Niven, it could be Larry Niven. Um, and it could very well be that we're thinking about the same book and Dream I'm not Park even books. realizing yeah. it. So. Could be.
0: Um, the, the thing to know about those series is that, uh, at the time they were written, the technology that they described uh, it Was very much science fiction. A lot of it is technology we're very familiar with now. The first mm. book I think was written twenty-five, thirty years ago, or something ridiculously close to that. Uh, so you have to you have to sit there and go, "Well, that's we already have that." And it's like, "Yeah, but they didn't then." So it's a really you know you have to you have to bear that sort of stuff in mind. But it would still be you know again, I think it's the kind of stuff you could update. It's a it should be a really you know prestige HBO series HBO you can send me the check for you giving you the idea because I think that would be an excellent that be an excellent series to once you know companion piece to Westworld a different kind of way of looking at the the the, the dangers of of a theme park uh in right. science fiction but um but there's a few I mean I I I love these kind of lists because there's stuff on here I haven't read uh you know a lot of these titles are ones I'm not familiar with which is which is interesting you know the i haven't read semper mars or uh the empire core or lost starship i'm just rattling off some of these names these are starship eternal constitution um fortune's patch i'm just or fortune's pawn um uh omega force synchronicity war i haven't read these i'm i'm either. intrigued by some of these i've heard of that i some of these titles. I mean, the, the, they give very, very short descriptions on this list, but some of them certainly they look interesting. Um, and you know, the the there's a whole bunch of war, uh, Warhammer based military science fiction books. There's its own little subgenre of the of the science fiction world is the Warhammer books, uh, written by some some big names. A lot of big names in British fiction have actually contributed to the Warhammer series. I haven't read any of them. Yeah. No. And they're very much, you know, there's there's strong arguments to be made that films like Event Horizon or the Hellbla- Hellraiser series are set in uh, a, at least a Warhammer-adjacent universe. Um, there's been some very amusing uh, fan theories about placing Pinhead in the Warhammer uh, <laughs> environment. Um, but one of my favorite British authors, Kim Newman, uh, fantastic British uh, writer got his start writing in the Warhammer series as a as a gamer as when he was young. So, well, um, and uh, oh, what is that? well, that's our hour. That's our that's our. Do you know what time it is? <laughs> there. Okay.
1: I I heard it coming from about twelve different places all at once, and I'm like, <laughs> well, wait a minute, where is that? Where is that? Because it didn't used to give me a tone. It didn't used to give me a, a a sound, and now suddenly it's it's giving me sounds. So,
0: um, I uh, um, uh just a little minor aside here. For work, we use Skype to talk internally because we're all over the different we're all over the place in terms of where we physically live, and because I'm a conscientious employee, I put Skype on my phone. And every time the phone would ring, the the Skype call would come in, this computer Uh would make a noise, and then this computer would make a noise, Uh and my phone would make a noise, and it was just like there's too many noises. <laughs> <laughs> all the noises, all the yeah. noises, stop! So I took it off my phone, uh, which is nice because then I can avoid the Skype calls when I'm not working. So <laughs> I could, could, I didn't. I did not see your call because I didn't because I wasn't yeah. at home. And and I, I, I'm not. I'm not fibbing. I'm just you know.
1: One thing uh, that uh, one thing that bugs me about you know, not having a signal here in the office now is that I miss calls. And I did sure. a, I did an interview today uh, with uh, KKFI Radio here in Kansas City mm-hmm. to talk about the new campaign and the Indiegogo stuff and all of that and why we're doing it and the problems we've been having with YouTube. And and uh, Michael Hogue, the, the, the guy who's interviewing me, uh, had called me about half an hour before the show. And my phone never rang. I never got any kind of a notification or a ping or anything that I had a voicemail message. And I just happened to look down at my phone and I saw the little, the little swirly cassette tape icon thing that says, you've got a message. I'm like, right. I didn't even, the phone didn't even ring.
0: Uh, well, that's, so, that's not a new problem. We had that problem at your old place too, because we had a more than once So you called me back going, the phone didn't ring.
1: Yeah, but I haven't had that issue here so much, except in the last week and week and a half, and it's terribly frustrating for me. Oh, sure, because okay. you know I'm just like, well, okay, I need to be able to, <laughs>
0: I need to be able to to communicate with people. Uh, have you but, read the, Have you read the Legion of the Dam series by William Dietz? I have not. Um, I've read the first book. And I do not believe I've read anything past the first book. I think the first book has a uh, relatively contained, you know, the ending serves as an ending. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't think I've picked up any more of the rest of the series. And I see here a recently completed 11 book series. And I'm like, I recall liking the first book. I wonder why I never picked up the rest of them.
1: I don't know. The problem for me well, the challenge for me is finding the time to read anything. Oh, I know. Because nowadays, uh, you know, with with all of the stuff that I'm doing, trying to get this thing built up, um, I'm generally reading while I have lunch. Yeah. uh, Or breakfast, depending on on what my day looks like. And outside of that, I really don't... I, I should take more time just get away from the computer and do stuff but there's so sure. much to do and yeah.
0: you know I just you know I I got into audio listening to audiobooks and podcasts the way that I do because the nature of my job at the time is that I was on the road all the time and I was kind of I was you know I was in the car you know 8 hours a day mm-hmm. and but I'm really really grateful that I got in the habit of listening to books uh, because, as much as I do not necessarily have the time to sit down and read a book, enough of my job I can do with music or other sounds I can you know a lot of, a lot of my job these days has a lot of graphic design element to it, so I can work on that and listen to something at the same time sure so i 'm still able to listen to books um, and which is a, I'm, I count myself really lucky because i if I did wasn 't able to i don 't know how much time i 'd have to actually sit down and read. Yeah, Well, and I think
1: one of the things that um, I, I can do some, I can listen to music when I'm when I'm working on stuff, when I'm editing articles or if I'm writing an article or doing research or something. But for the most part, especially when I'm editing video, I can't have anything else playing because I've got to be able to hear the audio right. mix. Yeah. So I've never gotten into audio books because one, I'm not in the car that much. And two, you know, I have to be able to listen to the to whatever video that I'm editing, whether it's one of our shows or if it's TV commercial or web video or whatever. Right. So I've never gotten into audio books that much. And now it's okay. I'm going to have to make myself almost have almost almost make an appointment with myself to just step away and go read or it's not a bad or, idea.
0: Yeah. Work it into your schedule. Yeah. I mean, you know, you've got somewhere
1: you, somewhere between all of the, all of the shows and all of the articles and the,
0: well, teach, you know. teach Mindy to edit. And, uh, <laughs> uh, Robert, it's uh, Robert over in the chat says the period between when sci-fi is published to when it is picked up by Netflix is shorter than my reading time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But, but here's the thing, Robert, considering Netflix's model, it's not gonna make it more than two seasons so if it's a book if it's a series uh, you're good luck uh, you know you're gonna be better served by just reading the series although you know the fact that we're getting these these big channels picking up uh, some of these shows at least for a couple of seasons um, I, I I kind of I kind of hope Netflix is gonna grow, grow out of this model of People love things when it's new, but past two seasons, they don't care. Because I think mm. it's a not very bright model myself. But, I mean, I don't see their numbers. It, it, I'm sure it works out for them, I guess. Uh, but, you know, the opportunity to tell some of these stories over a long period of time and give something like, you know, we've seen things like what happens when you give a chance to the Expanse series to have the, the room to breathe over time. You're able to tell these, like, really fairly accurate versions of the novels in a visual form that's mm. not something you get a lot and there's so many book series that would benefit from that I mean as excited as I am about the new Dune movie um, and the potential of the new Dune movie let me let me qualify that um, I'm uh, a part of me really wants it to be a 10 episode season just to give that kind of focus to the book You know, um, the fact that we can have that sort of stuff now is is pretty, pretty cool. I'd love an Honor Harrington series that played out over, you know, ten ten episodes. Give me give me three years of ten episodes of Honor Harrington, and I'd I'd be pretty happy.
1: Well, you, I mean, the first book alone would give you would take three seasons. I mean, really, if you did it right. Uh, Well,
0: the 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 thing the thing that you, know, you you have to accept the adaptation is going to happen. If I mm. I figure if you if you can give me 10 hours to adapt a a, a novel, um you're at least going to get a good chunk in theory, you're at least going to get a good chunk of what makes that novel work. Yeah.
1: Well, and I think too that the there was at one point there was a there was a company that was working on a movie adaptation. And I know for a while there was a comic book adaptation. I don't know how well that did because I, ha- I haven't seen it in a while. Mm. But there have been attempts for uh, a, a, an honor-verse filmed media project of some sort. And, of course, we've got the word that has been percolating for so many years about uh, Dragon Riders of Pern. And that's another one of those. And it's not military science fiction, but it is one of those where – you have to wonder how are they going to pull this off if they're going to yeah. pull it off. And so far they haven't been able to do that. So,
0: Well, they keep telling me there's a Hyperion adaptation coming. I've been hearing that for years now and mm. um, I don't know. I, I really want it. <laughs> I, there's, I think there's, that's four books that could be really epic science fiction on the screen, whether it's TV or prestige TV series or a, a film series. Yeah. But well, and this
1: and this, you know, Robert's talking about the new Lord of the Rings thing that I I the more I hear about it, the more trepidation I'm feeling about it because now all of the Tolkien representatives are off the project. Right. right? Yeah, that, that's me, that's a reason to concern that's, me. That's a big red flag for me, especially since the estate said we're done, and then you have the one Tolkien scholar that was their consultant, and for whatever reason we've I've heard he's quit, I heard that he got fired, so that's not a good sign.
0: I don't know well it's... and I think that there's there's something that you run into, and well, no, I know there's something you run into because we 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 hear the stories is that there is not necessarily a real huge desire on the part of uh, studio executives, their, their biggest priority is not making sure that it's true to the source material, right? It's just not, that's not, the, that's not their mindset. And, and I'm not, I'm not saying that's a terrible thing. You know, that studio executives are evil or anything. I'm not saying that at all. They just don't think that way. That's just not how they look at stuff. You know, they look at they're looking at advertising revenue and, and you know, all the all the financial things they're not thinking about their biggest concern is not that they're giving a true faithful adaptation and you know um, butting heads with the folks who are going that's not how it is in the books versus <laughs> the guy going yeah but that's you know yeah. how the studio wants it to be not not the first time we've heard about it not the last time. That's just, unfortunately, right. the nature of the beast.
1: Well, and speaking of uh, advertising revenue and and making decisions based on the monies, uh, let's throw this up here one last time. We have an Indiegogo campaign that is going to launch in one week's time, June 1st, next Monday. Uh, we're going to launch a 30-day campaign to raise money to build a new Sci-Fi for Me TV. This is going to be, if everything goes right, it will be a new uh, website to which we will stream our video. We'll upload video. Uh, I'm not going to let you see all the perks just yet. We'll have a very base, uh, you know, a couple of basic perks: uh, stickers, mugs, t-shirts. The the problem. That we've had with this is figuring out what those perks are going to be because we're not making a comic book. It's not a graphic novel. We're already creating the products to be delivered. We're already doing it. It's just this would give us a, a different place to put it and also get more control over the content. Um, not have to worry so much about the censorship and the search suppression and the, all of the algorithms that see and hear things and read our mail and tell us that we're saying bad words and you're not allowed to talk about that and all that. So sci-fi for me TV is going to be the new URL and right now it points to the YouTube channel but eventually it'll be you know assuming that we get the money that we need. Uh, it'll be this new thing and um, and that'll be where we put all of our new programs and we do have new programs in development that we're talking about doing uh, as well as thinking about where else we could put these programs besides just our the .tv website so there, it's something that I've wanted to do since 2009 and finally the technology has caught up to the point where I feel like you know we can do this now. Um, here's a sticker. I, I, I still think I they I, they turned out much nicer than I expected them to. Honestly, for the price that we were getting, so um,
0: yeah, no, they look good.
1: Yeah, they're 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 thick enough. They're sticky enough. Um, I, they don't feel like they're going to be flimsy and rip and tear and and fall off. So there's that and of course the mugs uh, people have seen before we've got a, finally got uh, prices back on t-shirts so those kind of things are basically kind of the add-ons because the programming we're already creating we're already making the shows we're already putting you know, we already have the TV channel it's not like we're doing something brand new it's just we're building a new path for the people to find it and that starts next Monday and we'll see what happens. That's right. There's this. There's this cliff, and we're about to jump off of it. <clears throat> there, there are days, so they're going to, We really want to do this. So, uh, and I had a couple of ideas for stretch goals too. So, uh, we'll see. We'll see.
0: Looking forward to it.
1: All right. Well, that's going to do it for us tonight. Thank you very much, everyone, for watching. Those of you who are listening to the audio version of the podcast, thanks, uh, thanks for your time and attention. Those of you in the chat, thanks for your participation. And uh, we want to make sure that you know when all of our uh, new video goes up on the channel, so make sure you have your notifications on. We also have a newsletter you can sign up for. The link is in the show notes. As well as the sign-up for the Indiegogo campaign. And tomorrow night, Tuesday night, we will have a brand new Salacious Crumbs with the latest Star Wars news. McKenna is going to be back hosting. And then uh, we've got a Ranker Pit on Friday. We've got Good Morning Multiverse on Saturday. So uh, a full week. We are almost back to normal. Almost. We're that close. Here we go. All right. Thanks very much for watching, folks. Good night.
0: Good night. Copyright 2020 by Flaming Dog Media, LLC. All rights reserved. No portion of this program may be retransmitted without the express written consent of Flaming Dog Media.